Hello and welcome to 88.9 The Bridge. Today I'm joined by Sebastian Salazar. He is the co-host of two separate ESPN shows, ESPN FC, and his brand new show, Football Americas. From the Washington, D.C. area and graduated from Westminster College, joined ESPN in 2016, and easily became one of their best looking, sorry, sorry, best <laughs> sideline reporters. Uh, <laughs> my bad. Um, he has worked in the MLS playoffs and tracked the Mexican national team in the 2018 World Cup. So thank you for joining me and how's it going today? Hey, what an intro. Uh, it's going great. Um, thanks for the time, man. It's always, uh, it's always fun to talk to people that are kind of early in their, in their having ideas about joining this profession. I remember um, when I was in your shoes and it feels like it wasn't that long ago, but now that I've <laughs> years, it kind of happened. <laughs> yeah, well, so how did you decide that you wanted to go into commentating? Cause it's kind of a niche profession in a way. Totally, yeah. So I love sports. I was a kid that was like obsessed with um, sports trading cards and ESPN from a very young age. And I knew a lot about stats and I was super into divisions and playoffs and all the kind of machinations of, of professional sports and, and really all sports. Yeah. And the sport that I played, you know, happened to be soccer, but I was really interested in all sports. And it was probably when I was like 14 or 15, I realized, Hey dude, you're not going to be a pro soccer player. Yeah. And when that hit me, it was like, all right, well, what, what else do you want to do? And I was like, well, I want to do something that keeps me in sports. Um, and, and I love to talk <laughs> and, I like to tell, and I like to tell stories. So, you know, obviously th then you make the connection to, to kind of sports broadcasting and next thing you know, you're looking at that and that really informed my college decision and eventually all my professional decisions. So I really decided at a, at a, at a pretty young age that kind of this path was something I wanted to specifically pursue. Yeah. And so when you were, did you get a job at a company before college or coming out of college or was it? Right. So my first experience was at college. I, I wasn't as fortunate as you are like, and it's great that you're taking advantage of it, you know, doing work for the high school radio station. We didn't have that at my high school. So my first experiences were freshman year of college. I get to Westminster college, as you read in my bio there, yeah. I had an amazing experience. It was a small broadcasting school, but they had a TV station and a radio station. And the professors were like, Hey, we don't care if you've never held a mic before, like go, if you want it, space is here. And I just took every opportunity, especially in sports. I did a ton of play by play. I probably, by the time I graduated, had called like a hundred NCAA basketball games, over a hundred, well over a hundred. And I'd had my own show on the campus TV station, my radio shift yeah. on the, you know, on the, on the radio station. So I'd gotten all this experience and I was like, honestly, really, really fortunate. Uh, yeah. to been able to do all that in college kind of for free was lucky. Yeah. What at the end of the day that allowed me to do was have a resume tape, have a tape that was like, here's what I look like on camera. And with yeah. that tape, I sent to every station under the sun in, in, in the country, the smallest markets you can think of, Anchorage, Alaska, to, you know, uh, Pensacola, Florida, everywhere in between, right? Just desperate to be on air anywhere. Yeah. And the first place that called me was this little station in Dalton, Georgia, in the northwest corner of Georgia. I'd never heard of it. And I uh, went there kind of sight unseen. I took their sports anchor job Monday through Friday. And it was the most amazing, like 16 months of my life. It was like doing almost like a master's degree in, in sports casting. 
And I, uh, from there, just kind of, you know, it was, it was like being in single A ball, imagine, or in like the fourth division for a soccer player. Yeah. You know, being in the super, super minor leagues, but I was in the game. Yeah. And that experience was really kind of what, what set me down this path professionally. Yeah. So how, how long were you working in Georgia? And what was it like when you really got the, a call or an email from a major company? Yeah. So, I was only there for 16 months, but I was there for two football seasons, which in the South oh. is like what you want to be there for. High school football is king. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. It, it takes over the town. It's a varsity blues feel. So those experiences for me were very formative as like a broadcaster in terms of telling stories and stuff. From there, I kind of went to what was my version of AA. It was a small station in Winchester, Virginia, which is just outside DC. I spent two years there again another incredible experience, learning, getting better at my craft, doing more and more work and doing a variety of work, right? Calling some college football games, some college basketball games again. So all those experiences kind of set me up for an next TV job. And then you won't remember this, but the recession of like 2008 hit. Yeah. And uh, one of the first things that was affected were the car dealerships. And if you've ever watched local news, you know that what, what, what advertises on local news? All the car dealerships. All car dealerships. So local news started drying up. The sports department started drying up and there wasn't a ton of work. And so I, I at that point, got lucky enough to make a switch. I started working at a regional sports network in DC as like a digital media producer, but doing yeah. some on-air stuff. Um, yeah. And from there kind of, moved up the chain in the regional sports network ladder to eventually being on air at, at CSN Houston and then back oh. at CSN Washington in DC, which is probably like the equivalent of your root, root Northwest, root sports. Yeah, root sports. Yeah. Exactly. And so then from there, after two years um, in DC in like 2015 and 16, um, I got the call from ESPN and that was, you know, really kind of like whatever everybody who's ever done this for a living uh-huh. is about. So it's kind of yeah. just, and you know, you don't even think about it. You're just like, yep. Okay. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah. Cause I remember from when I was a kid, all of the Sounders games, like all the big games, they were always on ESPN. Yeah. Like ESPN was the go-to station that ever, they had everything. They had basketball, football, soccer, like they had everything. And so I can see like, when you get called there, you don't know what you're going to do because so much. So what did you really start getting into when you joined ESPN? So I think I was brought to ESPN with a pretty specific eye on like soccer, you know, it wasn't a specific brand. It wasn't like, Hey, you're going to go do the Mexican league or major league soccer or the U S men's national team. It was just like, Hey, you're a soccer guy. You can host, you can report, you can anchor, news segments you can do play by play and so i just kind of went to espn as kind of like a do it all hey whatever they need me to do yeah. if like one day they need me to scrub the floors like cool <laughs> I'll do that you know yeah. um and I, and i love every role in its own way and actually i think it's it's a it's, it's a lesson you know for somebody like yourself you don't have to be the best at one thing and if you chase that you might kind of get lost along the way mm-hmm. it's really useful in your career to be good or very good at a lot of things because that opens like door upon door upon door you know like if i stop doing one type of work at espn i can do others because i have this you know versatility that i've been able to to kind of work into my you know into my resume through my through my vast experiences so i started to kind of do a little bit of everything at espn and slowly but surely started to do more hosting more of the studio work 
obviously now we've launched like these two new shows, but I'm also doing more play by play, which I love, you know, you love to call the games. That's really where the action is. That's the most fun. Um, But studio right before a game in the middle of a game, like those, those experiences are, are great too. And reporting, you know, being on the sidelines is, is amazing. Is is an amazing experience in its own unique way. You'll never see a game. Like you'll see it from the perspective of a sideline reporter and hear it. What you hear from the coaches, the players, the refs, um, man, what the coaches say to the fourth official. <laughs> not that. So anyway, I think, you know, I, I did a little bit of everything and I continue to do a little bit of everything. And honestly, I don't, I don't really think at ESPN I'll ever do one thing. I think, yeah. I think my role will be kind of, hey, a jack of all trades. I'll, I'll just kind of do whatever's asked. Yeah. Yeah, because I can tell with the sideline reporter with obviously no fans in stadiums now, the wider world is getting a taste of what the players are saying to each other. And <laughs> it's not great. People love it, People love it right? The whole show to be had yeah. about what's said between players and players and refs. I mean, if you mic'd all those guys up, you'd get incredible banter. Yeah, it's like the mic'd up on, yeah. on the uh, NFL games because you can hear everyone. And it's much more vulgar. Um, <laughs> so you, one of your first jobs at ESPN was a sideline reporter and you were doing big games. How do you really prepare for a sideline reporter job? Well, I mean, I think, I think experience, kind of in the long term, experience interviewing, you know, setting up interviews, doing exactly what you're doing right now. When I was in Dalton and Winchester and all these other places, sitting down and interviewing people and realizing, hey, where do you go to get the best stuff out of them? You know, where do you go to get the best stuff? That sense didn't happen overnight for me. That's, you know, a decade of professional interviews and three or four years of college interviews and, and, and lots of work into the art of interviewing. So having that experience in the, in the long term is, is very valuable. And then kind of in the short term, you know, um, you, you have to understand what's at stake. You've got to know, like, what's on the line and who the characters are. So you really try to focus in on, and it's interesting because it's not like preparing for something that you work on every day. Oftentimes you, like you said, come into town for the big game. So you got to kind of like be like, oh, it's a Sounders and Timbers. Okay, what are the long-term storylines between Sounders Timbers? I know they're ancient rivals. What's going on with the Sounders right now? What's going on with the Timbers right now? Who's kind of strong? Who's weak? What's happening there? Where will the the points of of kind of interest be in this game, of potential drama? Where will that be in this game? And then being like, how can I see that differently or how can I influence the broadcast with information that I can get from that sideline role? So a lot of times we'll go in to Seattle or, or Portland before a big game and we'll meet with the coaches and maybe the players and we'll have kind of an off the record chat and that informs our broadcast. So we go into our broadcast pretty well prepared. I know what the guys upstairs are looking for. Yeah. So if I know that they're like, hey, I think there's a weak link um, at the number six position right here for this team, I can keep an eye on that from the sideline. And if I hear coaches talking and adjusting, or if I see something being, you know, ironed out on the field, boom, I can now impact the, the broadcast in a very positive way with something that no one else can see. But it's really like figuring out those opportunities. And the only way you can see those opportunities is by being extremely well prepared before the game and knowing the storylines going in. And then for the interviews and stuff afterwards, you just have to have that sense of the moment. Hey, I know this coach is mad at this coach. I got to ask him about it. Yeah. Even if he yells at me and gets in my face, that's okay. No problem. Yeah. I got to ask him about it because that's a headline. If they yell at you, right. You know, <laughs> you know, it's happening yeah. to me. It is. You're right. It is yeah. the headline. And, ever, and 
and it's good for the show. You know, that's yeah. kind of the, the end point for it. So when you're on the side, um, can you hear the the play-by-play? The -play? Can you hear what they're okay. saying? So I'd be wearing like an IFB, some, not too different from what you're wearing. I got like a little earpiece um, and I'll, I'm hearing exactly what broadcast yeah. is saying. So I'm hearing what those guys up in the booth are talking to me. And I have my mic and my mic is, you know, off for most of the game because they don't need to be hearing live what's happening on my mic. Yeah. But on my mic, I've got a direct line to the producer and I can be like, yo, I just heard this. You should either like let me on to say it or tell the guys upstairs that, yeah. you know, it's worth them mentioning. Yeah. So, you know, that though you have those conversations. Half of what I say to the truck or to the guys upstairs doesn't come out on air from me. You won't yeah. hear it from me, but it's me being like, hey, they're about to make this change. This dude's stretching. What's, this guy just yelled at this guy on the sideline. Oh, there was a confrontation over here between X and Y. Check that out. Yeah. You know, I'm almost like a spotter in a way. And when, you, when you're so focused on kind of like what's happening around you, that's when you see the real granular detail of the game. And so if you know there's a beef between, you know, I don't know, um, <laughs> Raul Ruiz Diaz and Diego Chara, you know yeah. to like, look, oh, hey, I just saw him like, you know, poke, yeah. poke in the chest and the other one, you know. And so mm -hmm. I, think, I think it's just, it's being aware of everything around you, both big picture and then when you're in the moment, really just being present in that moment and like looking around the sidelines and seeing what's up. Yeah, because that's actually interesting to me because when I'm watching the Premier League games, I'll see a lot of times the announcers will be like, hey, it looks like uh, Liverpool are preparing to make a substitution. And then like no one actually watching the game from TV can tell that. Mm -hmm. And then I'm always sitting there like, how do they know that's happening? Do they have like eyes everywhere? And so when... And then sometimes the substitution doesn't even happen. But like the play-by-play the -play people have told you that, look, there's a substitution going to happen. And sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it, sometimes it does happen. And that's kind of, I've always been curious about that. So that's actually really interesting to know. Yeah, you see it from up top too, right? Like the guys who are in that broadcast booth, they're looking down and they're seeing everything as well. They're seeing it from a different angle than the guy on the sideline. But a lot of the times they will see who's warming up and, and, and kind of all of the extras that are happening. And a lot of times what's happening in the crowd, which tells you a lot about kind of a game in, in, yeah. in certain circumstances, maybe not always in, in not every stadium in American soccer is it, is it that way, but in a place like Seattle, if you sense the crowd getting tense, you can see that from above. Yeah. Um, if you hear the crowd getting really into it, you're like, Hey, the sounders are coming now because this crowd's getting into it. You can sense that stuff from above in a really cool way. So every spot in a broadcast has its has its advantage. Okay, so now now less informational, but what was the biggest game that you ever covered, and how did you feel going into it? Yeah, so I mean, covered means a lot, right? Because yeah. covered is like, have I called? Have I broadcast? Have I been on the sideline? Um, I'll, I'll give you a couple different ones. So. The first one that springs to mind is the Olympics of 2016. I was the sideline reporter for NBC on their coverage of the U.S. women's national team. So every game that the U.S. women were in. And so they won their group and eventually got to the quarterfinal against Sweden. And they lost in penalties. And we were on the field like watching as as wow. as they lost in penalties you just almost couldn't believe it you know the u.s women never lose and never in the quarterfinals of the olympics and i just remember this huge stadium in brazil like swollen with people 
tons of American fans all just whoosh. And it was a really amazing experience. Later that tournament, I was in the stadium for the Olympic gold medal match, the men's game, which featured Neymar trying to help Brazil get a gold medal for the first time in Brazil at the Olympics. And he had a banger free kick in the game and Brazil won. And watching the Maracanã, this historic, historic stadium, temple of world football, explode for Neymar in Brazil at the Olympics was just unreal. The other game that I would just throw in there is my mom's from Mexico, my dad's from the US. So for me, the Mexican national team is, is my team. You know, if there's one thing that I scream at the TV about still to this day, it's Mexico. You know, sorry, I can't hide it. I think we're ending this interview now. Uh, <laughs> thanks of, for listening. <laughs> a lot of, a lot of US fans say that they're like, how can it be? How can it be? It's not to say I don't have a great love for yeah. the US too, but um, you know, Mexico is the first team that I really kind of like began to root for. So covering them at the World Cup in 2018 for ESPN, we weren't the rights holder, but we were covering it and doing pregame hits, postgame hits for SportsCenter, yeah. all sorts of different platforms. Their game in the round of 16 at the 2018 World Cup against Brazil was an amazing experience on a personal and professional level. Like those worlds colliding was just really cool. So those three games are for me kind of like the three standout moments where I had like a press pass and I was at just an, an amazing event. I'm sure there's others that I'm leaving out, but those three are, are really unique. Yeah, I guess the cool thing about covering Mexico is, you know, when the quarterfinals are, so you know when to leave. Yeah, exactly. We could book yeah. our flights right yeah. and keep the yeah. because we knew we weren't going to get there. Uh-huh. It's funny, like they started the World Cup, you know, winning the first two games. And we were like, you know, we were not in, um, how do I explain this? We weren't in like the five-star hotel yeah. in like Moscow's Red Square. You know, we were, we were moving around with this team, grabbing like whatever open hotel was available for us. So it wasn't the, the like, um, how do I say this? It wasn't like a, a, a weekend getaway trip. It was like yeah. hard work. And we were working uh-huh. around the clock because the hours were so opposite of the markets yeah. serving USA and Mexico. So there was a moment when they were like two wins in and her, I was working with Hercules Gomez, ex-sounder. And we were yeah. like, dude, how great would it be if they like go to the semis of the finals? And then we also looked at each other and we were like, dude, if they went to the, are we going to make it? Like, are we going to survive that long? Like in this, in this yeah. lifestyle, like kind of skating through Russia by the, the seat of our pants. Yeah. So it was, um, it was an amazing three weeks, but when they went home and we went home, I think for all of us, there was like a little bit of a sense of relief. Like, all right, our adventure has come to an end. Yeah. That sense of travel, like, I guess that's how you really travel darting yeah. through Russia seeing all these places but it's not always russia you know russia was cool and unique and i'll never i'll probably never go back there you know unless Mm -hmm. i work again i i can't who knows what who knows what where life will take you but it's it's pretty unlikely so to be able to see it and see all these little corners of it was amazing when i travel in the u.s it's a lot different right it's like i'm into seattle for a day or two go to practice meet the coach go to the hotel production meetings go to the stadium do the game go to the airport gone to the next place so um it's cool to travel and you see you do see a lot of stuff you don't see for very long sometimes not as long as you'd like but you get accustomed to it and it's um it's one of the parts of the job that like sometimes you you're like i love traveling and sometimes you're like i just want to go home (laughs) yeah so that was kind of as a sideline reporter but how when you made a switch to play-by-play for espn was that difficult or was it pretty seamless because you've been doing it through college 
And so I, yeah, I, I mean, I played at my college for my college soccer team, so I never got to call a soccer game, oh. you know, um, which and we, I don't even think they broadcast the soccer games back yeah. then, to be honest. They did for football and basketball, but mm-hmm. that was about it. I only and, see a couple uh, right. soccer games today. Yeah. Yeah. Now, like now everybody broadcasts everything. So, um, yeah. you know, I would have loved that opportunity. But I had called soccer before, you know, I'd done quite a bit at the regional sports network level. I called the uh, first season of the Houston Dash for the National Women's Soccer League in 2014 when I was working down in Houston. I've called a bunch of other kind of random things throughout my Mm -hmm. career before I got to ESPN. And, you know, I was thrilled to work on, you know, first, whatever they would let me call games on, because, you know, as somebody who wants to do more of it, you always just, you know, want more reps, want more practice, want more opportunities. Yeah. And then also, you know, some of the stuff that I've been able to work on has just been incredible. Like I never thought I've always followed the women's game. I covered the NWSL for a long time and some of the other iterations of pro women's soccer before that. I never thought I'd be calling U.S. women's national team games like that's way above anything I ever thought would have. I would, you know, have the opportunity to do so. Yeah, I mean, there's some times when I'm calling games and. The other day, I'm calling a Copa del Rey final. Yeah, I was watching that game. Boring. And like, yeah. if you know me, you know that I've like been like YouTubing Messi since like 2006, you know? Yeah. And, and like, I love this player. I'm not really a Barcelona fan, but I love Messi. Just right. I love him, like watching him play. And so as somebody who then is like, oh, I'm calling a game in which he's playing where there's an important trophy on the line. And he's balling out. Like, you're just, well, it's a pinch me moment. So it's like when I call the U.S. women or when I call kind of a, a messy masterclass in a big game you're like man I'm, I'm so lucky to be doing stuff of this status of this stature i i, I remember watching that uh copa del rey final yeah. and i was like imagine not just like you don't need to be there but to determine what other everyone around the world is hearing because that everyone in america is hearing you calling that essentially yeah yeah, yeah. it's like final with Messi. I mean, even if you yeah. don't like soccer, you know who Lionel Messi is. Right. You're going to see those clips. You're going to, you're going to watch that highlight. You're going to see those goals. You might watch the game. Yeah. They, um, yeah. It's, it's a tremendous opportunity when you get to call, you know, some, some of these games and some of the numbers we get, you're like, wow, man, that many people watch, mm-hmm. watched us, you know, and they're watching, they're watching the teams, but you know, you feel kind of like you're, you're a, a small part of the show in some way. Yeah. Uh, as well as, as little as you, you you know you can be without influencing it in a bad way because uh-huh. i guess because if messi scores a wonder goal or does mm-hmm. something incredible like he did in that game that's your voice on youtube as yeah. well and i think like you know one thing that you'll you'll hear if you get you know far down the, your road in this career is like there you always have people who like criticize or like don't like something you did or do like something you did or Um, And that really just comes with the turf. You kind of got to take it. You kind of got to have a thick skin. But one thing like I'm always like, I always fall back on and I really love what I do. I mean, soccer is like kind of my life, you know, and so to be able to live this dream is incredible for me. So if I go crazy when um, Kristen Press scores or if I go crazy when uh, Lionel Messi scores, I'm, I'm genuinely excited yeah. in the booth. You know, I'm, I'm having fun doing what I'm doing. And mm-hmm. I get I get criticized sometimes for being over the top. And, and that's fair, you know, for, for, for if it's all down to your style, being subjective, what you yeah. like, what you don't like, it's, it's totally cool. But I'll just be like, hey, man, that was my honest reaction. That to me is yeah. like, I'm having fun doing this. 
And when I see something incredible, man, I'm going to jump out of my seat, you know? Right. I guess, I guess I haven't uh, noticed over the top on a lot of your uh, commentating, I guess. I guess when you're with Ali Moreno, that's not hard. <laughs> Ali's my guy. Ali's my guy. We, we always work together. We call that game yeah. together. We do ESPN FC a lot. Uh, he's been with us on Football America. So, yeah, Ali's my Vamos Venezuela. We got to get that in for Ali. Yeah. Yeah. So one thing I've really been curious is how does commentating change with the pandemic? Like, cause with the whole fans and not being at the game. Totally. And working from home. I mean, I'll be honest with you. Um, it's hard. It's really like, it's hard to do what we used to do in this new reality. Right. Yeah. It's just when you're calling games, even recently, Ala and I called a game, I think in January, where like he was in a, we were in Connecticut together, but he was in a different room, Booth and I. And yeah. so like that natural, just like sense of when someone's talking, when someone's not talking, what's happening is, um, you know, that natural chemistry that you would have is just interrupted. And so it makes the teamwork part more difficult on top of the fact that you're not in the stadium, right? So you're not seeing things firsthand. You're not able to pivot your eyes to what you want to see. You're only able to see what, not just the cameras are seeing, but what really one camera is seeing and what a director somewhere is focusing down the tube to you. So that's, that's tough. I mean, it's really tough to kind of, to paint the full picture when you don't have it yourself. So it limits you for sure, but you know, you find ways to work around it and you get better at it every time you do it and you get more comfortable, which really once you're a little bit more comfortable makes you better. And you find little, you know, ways to cheat. We set up a Zoom call between like me and whoever I'm doing the game with so we can see each other while we're broadcasting visually just to be like, okay, Seb's talking, you're not talking, yeah. um, this and that. But there's issues with delays and people's home internet, you know, weirding out. And, and it's, it's tough because, you know, we're, we're accustomed to kind of working at a certain professional level um, in a studio that's run by like other super qualified professionals and and it's tough when like you're also the it guy at home and you're you know in my case like that's not my forte i'm terrible with this stuff but i got a lot of it now and so um you know it 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 can be tough but but we've all adjusted and and you know i know especially like on espnfc it was a super quick adjustment we took like i think the weekend off that the pandemic hit and by that next monday we were doing shows from everybody's house and like it was on we were back to five days a week so you know, it, it can be, you can still work, you can still create content, you can still do it. Is it tougher? Yeah, but it can definitely still be done. Yeah, because I remember um, when I first got into the radio program, because obviously I'm a freshman. So for the first half of the pandemic, I wasn't in the radio station. I didn't know if I would get into the radio class, didn't have a microphone, didn't have anything. Get into the radio uh, first couple months in, or first couple weeks in, I have to do a show with my friend, except we can't see each other. And so that whole chemistry of like, when he's wrapping it up with his movements is completely gone. And mm-hmm. so I don't know how tough it would be to have to call a professional soccer game without that sort of chemistry being there. It's tough. It's tough. And it definitely takes some of the, the pleasure out of it, the joy out of it, right? Because you're yeah. so focused on those little things that maybe it's, it, you're not like enjoying the game in the moment you're not yeah. in the stadium. But I think the other note there is just, you know, we're all desperate to get back now. Right. And I think, we were always desperate to get back, but the more of these games that you do outside of stadiums, and then as you, you know, see other leagues that have fans like starting to come mm-hmm. in and, and be more present, 
you're like, man, I cannot wait to do yeah. a game in a stadium with fans because it's just yeah. you're going to really appreciate it on a whole nother level. Yeah. So you mentioned ESPN FC there. Um, when did you like start becoming a co-host for that show? And what was it like transitioning to that sort of panels type show? Yeah, pretty. I mean, almost immediately upon my arrival at ESPN, uh, I joined in like December of 2016. And I think by January, I was, you know, kind of shadowing Dan Thomas and, mm -hmm. and then maybe like a week or two into February doing my first show, something like that. It was really one of the first things I did. Um, and certainly it's, it's really the only thing other than like the Little League World Series, funny enough, that I've kind of consistently done. You know, everything else I've, I've kind of done something for a year or for a year or two and then moved on and done something else for a year or two. And uh, and so, yeah, that, that ESPN FC role is, is the most fun because you're really kind of like stepping into a family, you know, a locker room really. Yeah. Uh, you're stepping into, into, a, into a team and the team is really successful. They have a good thing going. And like, whenever you join a new team or a new group, there's always this like, well, am I gonna fit in? Am I gonna be, you know, a, a, a am I gonna fit in? And then B, am I gonna be a positive add to the group in any way? Yeah. Like, can, I, can I bring something to this, to this already awesome show and this, this giant of content that is ESPN FC? Yeah. And, you know, I was lucky enough that the guys, you know, they give me a good ribbing in the show, but um, they really always have made me feel very much a part of, of, of what's going on. And mm -hmm. so over the pandemic, I kind of became more of the steady backup to Dan and the guy that's yeah. like kind of always doing that weekend shift, if you will. But he does, yeah. you know, five days a week and I've been doing two. He's doing, I think, you know, he feels, feels like he's doing the show every day almost now. Yeah. Um, and he's working he does he does an amazing job dan is so talented so great on that show so yeah. witty i mean it's his show you know it's truly it's yeah. it's stars there's craig burley and there's all these guys but dan is this is the straw that really stirs yeah. that drink and, and he's i think where so much of the magic of that show happens but um but you you know you and and that's the other thing is it's not just stepping into this big locker room but when dan's not there it's stepping into somebody else's show and, yeah. and, and somebody's really good at it on top of that so you always have some doubts like how am i going to fit in and how am i going to bring anything to this but eventually you kind of find your niche you yeah. uh, you help in the ways that you can you keep it simple in the ways that you um maybe are a little bit less useful and and you have fun with it you know and, and i think that's another thing we try to do on fc is we try to like we'll tackle anything for sure and we're definitely you know up to have a go at a big club or a big manager or a big player yeah. but uh, we're also, we're also having fun, you know, even when we disagree, even when we yell at each other, um, it's yeah. kind of like what happens in a locker room. Like it's, it's yeah. all kind of in the spirit of the show and there's like some good fun behind it. You know, we yeah. probably laughed about that over, over, you know, over dinner somewhere. Yeah. Cause I remember whenever I'm watching the show and you see these, you see Craig Burtley or whoever it is just going at each other. Yeah, it's it brings more to the show almost. It's more entertaining. It's something, and as long as you, and you can tell that you can tell that they're not mad at each other. It's more of like a friendly argument in a way. Yeah, and it brings a lot of like. And how different is that from what we all do with our friends? Exactly. While we're watching a game at halftime, it's just these guys have, you know played in World Cups and, and played in Champions League and won Champions yeah. League and played in FA Cup Finals. And so those experiences backed up by the fact that they do all get along and they do all, you know, kind of 
hang out together and, and, and vibe around the show just gives it a unique chemistry. Like that's the one thing I would always say about ESPN FC is um, there's a million shows out there and, yeah. and both, not just in the soccer space, but in like general sports. Yeah. And people are always trying to like make chemistry and you either like have chemistry because two people know each other and then you put them on TV or you have chemistry because you put people in the same room day after day after day after day, year after year. Yeah. And that's what ESPN FC has done. Those guys have been working together for days on years and like the shtick within the show, the okay. chemistry that they have is just on another level. And, and, and it takes the show to places that most studio shows just, I think they kind of can never touch, especially yeah. when, you know, Dan is hosting on a day after Champions League, something crazy's happened and everybody's fired up. Yeah. There's a magic to that show. You know, the only show I would compare it to is like people say is the best studio show out there is inside um, the NBA, like on TNT with Chuck and Kenny and Shaq and yeah. EJ. Like that's an amazing, amazing show. And uh, their shtick, like the way that they can captivate you just like by them talking to each other. I think, yeah. you know, I've seen it on FC and, I, and I'm to be a little, little teeny, teeny small part of that. I'm like, super proud of. Uh-huh. Yeah. Because I think chemistry is one of the hardest things to, to either fake, can't fake it. or to you get. Can't fake it. It's uh -huh. either there or it's not. And yeah. it's either manufactured kind of in the workspace by like just doing it over and over again. Yeah. Or you just, you know, you put two people like Wilbon and Kornheiser on PTI. Those are two guys who knew each other for years on a personal level from working at the Washington Post as sports writers. And then somebody had the idea to be like, hey, let's put these two guys arguing on a TV show. ESPN said, sure, let's do it. And now 20 some years later, it's you know still on ESPN, still number one show. And, and that, that was like two guys who just had an amazing chemistry that somebody bottled and put on TV. Yeah, it's the thing like you could take the world's best pundits, best analysis, put them together and they wouldn't do as well as a group of average people who have been working together for 10 years. It's yeah. that chemistry and bouncing off of each other brings like an, an extra dimension to any show. And that's something that's been really cool to see when I'm watching ESPN FC and the way that, cause for the first couple weeks, um, I was like, Sebastian Salazar, why is he there? Isn't Dan Thomas supposed to do that? Right. But like, it didn't take anything away from the show. It was still, this still chemistry was still there. And even I appreciate if, that. I appreciate yeah. that. It's, it's, um, it's a lot to like, to, to kind of fill in and, and be Dan. And I, I always would say like the show is super different when I'm there. It's not the same. Uh -huh. um, it's different, you know, whether you like it or don't like it is, is subjective. I, I think if you love Dan, you know, you, you, yeah. you watch a show every day, you love Dan and, and we don't do the same show, but I pick up so much from him too. Like my style is now very much, very, I think in a lot of ways, like influenced by, by him, because I, that's, this is the show that I watch every day. You yeah. know, even when I'm not doing it, I'm not hosting it. Yeah. You know, I'm watching it every yeah. single day. It's where I, I kind of start my soccer and end my soccer day. Mm -hmm. So one thing I've worried, uh, or not worried, been curious about is how do you prepare as a host? Cause do you prepare, you don't prepare for like uh, what players are doing as you would as a sideline reporter. It's more of questions, what's happened in the day. How is, what really is it like to prepare for an ESPN FC show or more recently a Football Americas? Yeah, so you really are, are always working. You're always trying to be on top of 
kind of what's coming and what's happening in the world, right? Like my mm-hmm. work every day, even if I'm not hosting FC, is to know what's going on in European football, know what's going on in world football, be kind of aware of what happened on the show, what we're talking about, and kind of where we're going to go in the coming days. Yeah. On the day of the show, you know, me and the producers will get on the horn pretty early and, and they'll kind of be like, hey, this is where we want to go. This is what we're thinking. What do you think? Mm-hmm. We kind of bash around ideas back and forth. From those conversations, a rundown is born. It's like, okay, hey, we got a preview. We're going to talk about, hey, Pogba said this about Mourinho. We're going to do a segment on that. Okay, yeah. Here are the three people we're going to have in it. And we kind of from that think about who, okay, I want to ask this guy for their perspective on this and yeah. this question to this guy. And then you kind of break down, hey, what are the topics of the day? Is there a preview of a game? Is there a reaction to a crazy thing that happened? Did somebody say something? Did the Super League fiasco occur? And we have to like do three or four segments on that. Yeah. You know, there's there's so much different content in the soccer world that we're kind of always picking and choosing on FC. Some days we talk Serie A, some yeah. days we don't. Some days we yeah. talk Bundesliga, some days we don't. So we kind of decide, we got to pare it all down. We only have, you know, 30 minutes to an hour to kind of accomplish what we need to in that show. We try to cover as much as we can. We build our segments. We say, Hey, all right, this is what we want to talk about. This is who we want to talk about it with. And this is kind of how we want to talk about it. What topics, what, what questions do we want to get answered? And that's our show. You know, those are the, that's the show on ESPN FC. So um, we really try to cover as, as, as much as humanly possible in the time that we have with the people that we have. And I think um, that's kind of the excitement of the show every day is I don't know every day when I wake up exactly what we're going to do. And even once that first rundown meeting is set, like, you never know, something Mm -hmm. could pop off, especially with afternoon games. A lot of times, you know, game happens here, three o'clock, we tape it, you know, 530, right when the game is done and we got to kind of react to it right away. So yeah. A lot of a lot of ESPN FC is reacting to games. It's like, hey, what what just happened in, in what in the game we saw? So I know you got to get going for Champions League, obviously. Big game, biggest games no, of the no, year, really. No, so no, no. I just want to ask, how did Football America start? What like how did it come to be? And what was it like when you finally got that thrill? Football Americas is a long term, if not project, kind of idea, you know. Um, I would say it started with the opportunity to work with Hercules Gomez Uh, right after he retired from the Sounders, he came to ESPN and immediately we just kind of were like, Hey, we're interested in all the same things, you know, MLS, the MX, Mexican national team, us men's national team, kind of soccer in North America, CONCACAF, what those players are doing in Europe. And so it was like, Hey, there's a lot of, stuff here for us to talk about in this space and no one else at ESPN is making this content. So maybe, maybe there's something for us there. Um, We were then lucky enough to work together. Like we covered the 2017 gold cup together, 2018 world cup together and kind of built our chemistry on air and kind of figured out, Hey, like there's definitely more to be done both in this space and kind of us working together. And at the end of 2019, right, right before the pandemic, we started doing content for ESPN FC's YouTube channel and, and the digital space for ESPN. It was a lot of kind of what we cover on Football America is news of the day as it re- relates to CONCACAF, the U.S. men's national team, U.S. women's national team, Mexico, kind of that MLS Liga Mekis fusion that is both happening currently and also potentially happening a little bit more formally down the road. And we had a lot of 
I think kind of success with it, you know, and, and whenever you can prove a concept, then, you know, eventually people take notice and we're just super fortunate. ESPN plus is this new platform that is obviously has like a huge soccer presence, right? Yeah. So soccer on there, Syria, Bundesliga, MLS, USL, you know, half the leagues of Europe, uh, yeah. first division, you know, all, all these great leagues, all these great soccer properties are, are there on ESPN plus. And so I think the bosses were like, Hey, let's throw ESPN FC is, you know, this awesome show on ESPN plus. That's one of our number one shows. Yeah. We have more soccer programming on that space. And so <laughs> our idea kind of came along and this need kind of came along and they kind of met earlier this year and from that football americas was born and so i think we launched it in march we we're just kind of laughing the other day we're on episode 20 already which yeah. kind of flies but it's been incredibly fun and fulfilling i feel like we're doing something that hasn't really been done you know at this level before by by espn and so i, I just feel real fortunate to be a part of it and when you're doing it with friends and like yeah it's hurt but the production staff we all get along really great um, there's a very good kind of chemistry within that group. So, and we're all really excited to be part of it. So whenever you get a lightning in a bottle like that, in terms of just enjoying the group you're working with, you feel super lucky too. So we always hope that comes across in what we do. Yeah. The segments are kind of like upbeat and fun and we wear, we yeah. wear a stuffy suit and tie, but uh, <laughs> you know, we, we're trying to, we're trying to have fun out there, but yeah. also, you know, like cover all the, all the crazy stuff that's going on in, in soccer. Yeah. Yeah, it, the the show definitely has its own sort of vibe because of like the backgrounds of like colors, green, like moving graphic, everywhere. Huh? The graphics yeah. are baller. I, that's all. Yeah. People, I say, say what you want about the hosts, but the graphics yeah. are amazing. Like that, yeah. that's that's just a, one thing I, I would say is like ESPN um, is a huge like superpower, right? When it comes to like sports and broadcasting, and when like the power of ESPN gets turned on, like the Football America's graphics package, yeah. they can do really cool stuff. And this like, this comes from like the people who are just the best at it and they nailed it. Like, I'm so impressed right. with it. Yeah. Um, sometimes I'm like, man, are we at the status of the graphics yet? You know, because the yeah. graphics are that good. But yeah, it's, um, we're really, we're really lucky. I, I, I don't want to speak for her, but I think like we both feel really lucky to be so well supported in something that we're so into, you know, it's kind of yeah. like our idea and they're supporting it. So yeah. like we have in that space, you know, we got no complaints. We got really no. Yeah. Complaints. That's so cool to hear. Just saw it like the, gra I mean, I mean, this isn't for you, but the graphics on ESPN <laughs> or at least on football Americas are incredible. Yeah. Just, they really provide like a sort of, you can always be into the show. Cause even if you're being really boring, <laughs> try, not <laughs> try not to be, it just keeps you uh, into it so yeah it's, and you know it's it's the graphics it's the it's it's the color schemes yeah. like the dress like we're doing we're um we're not trying to be the studio shows of old but you know like we are at the same time we're we're born out of espn fc yeah that's we're the legacy of p you know shows like pti is what i grew up watching so of course i'm going to be influenced by that same yeah. so um we're trying to do something different but but it's not that different in the same, yeah. same ways. Well, it's really cool because it's, since it's a new show, it's almost like that modernization, you know? Cause like, you don't see those cool graphics and stuff on old shows that have been on for a while. But with this new show, you have new ideas. 
don't really yeah, have anything. Five can... years, if we're lucky enough to be around, people yeah. will be like, ah, oh, this football America's graphics, they stink. You know, look at yeah. everybody else's graphics. It'll be something crazy. But um, yeah, when you get when you get those, when that they, they kind of give you the new toy, you feel like, wow, we're really special. Yeah. yeah, it's it's this whole new, as I said, new show, new vibe. Brings really brings a lot to the whole ESPN sort of circuit. I gotta make you my agent, man. I gotta make you- <laughs> Forget the broadcasting career. Come yeah. be my agent here at ESPN. Yeah, you know, you know my email. Just <laughs> all right, all right. I'm gonna right. take you on that. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for taking the time to sit down with me. It's been really great to learn about your career. And so, anyways, you're listening to 889 The Bridge. I'm Owen Kennedy, joined by Sebastian Salazar. And thanks for listening. Bye.